most areas, whether intentional or not, are very segmented by race. There's certain parts of town that are more white than diverse. There's certain parts of town that are one demographic. And so you, you're rarely having those conversations. But you actually just sit down to see that we're more alike than we're different. But if we have enough things that we connect on and we can have a conversation, I'm going to be more willing to listen to you. And most people don't do that. They just focus on their differences and they don't take the time to actually be human. Welcome to the... <laughs> no, 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 I can't do that. Let's try another one. Uh, how about this? <laughs> no, no, that won't work either. Let's try this. get on board with that. Let's roll with it. Welcome to the Begin the Begin podcast. My name is Jeff Hillemeyer, and I'm on a mission to find out what makes people tick. Not just anyone, people who are making a profound impact on the world. I want to dig into their origin story and get to the root of why and how they do what they do. I hope you are as inspired coming out of these conversations as I am. Let's get into it. One thing I've learned in life is that there's no chance of something happening unless you try. It's kind of why this podcast and my blog are called Begin the Begin. It was in that spirit that I asked former UGA and NFL wide receiver, Mohamed Massaqua, if he'd be a guest on my podcast. And wouldn't you know, <laughs> he said yes. We talk about his family's roots in Liberia, to growing up in Charlotte, to his life-changing accident in 2017, leaving him as an amputee, and ultimately to the purpose his life has taken on since. Let's get into it. Okay, this is a first for me on this podcast and likely uh, the only time this will happen that I actually get to have a guest who was on one of my fantasy football teams. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's get started. Mohammed. will you say who you are and what you do? How you doing? I'm Mohamed Massaqua. Uh, my former life, I was in the NFL. And so hopefully I got just some points in this fantasy football league. Uh, now I am a change management consultant. Yeah, that, you did. <laughs> you did. But I have to, <laughs> I have to be honest. Um, I have a, a really good friend who's a huge Browns fan. Mm -hmm. And he grabbed you your rookie year. You had a fantastic rookie year. And he yeah. grabbed you early in the draft. And I remember we were all like, what? And he's like, no, this is the guy. And then I had to, I had to get you after that. <laughs> Tell him I appreciate it. <laughs> I will. I will. Um, okay. So this podcast, I started this podcast because I wanted to have conversations with people that I think inspire me for sure, but inspire others and that have this journey that they're on. And your story is so interesting because you had this, you know, this arc of a career and we're doing these amazing things. And then in 2017, something happened. We'll get to that. That changed everything for you. And now I actually would, you know, this is a question I'll get to later, but I think you're doing, you're making a, maybe a bigger impact potentially than you would have with the first part of your life. So we'll get to that. But I also like to dive into the origin story, sort of mm -hmm. how people became who they are. Um, so mm -hmm. I want to start with you, if we can, you grew up in Charlotte. Yeah. 
Correct. Correct. Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Brothers, sisters? Uh, four sisters. And so I'm the only boy. I'm the second oldest. Second oldest. Okay. So I have three younger yeah. sisters. So I know at least what that part's like. It's um, crazy. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, um, that I've sort of noticed about you um, in conversations we've had, but also in, in sort of reading and, and listening to some talks you've given, you have this positive spirit and this mm -hmm. never quit sort of part of you. Um, yeah. And I'm curious, did that, did that come from family? Did that come from particular coaches? Like, how did you get that inside of you? Well, you know, like as you, you start with history, you know, a lot of people start with where they were born. I, I track it back, you know, further than that. My family uh, came here from Liberia. They actually escaped the Civil War. And so uh, me being from West Africa, there's a lot of pride there. And even if you trace it back a little bit further, my family comes from Mali. And, and so you think of just like the richness of that country and that area. And, and these people were intellects. They still are. Um, and entrepreneurs and they build things and they design things and they were resilient. And so I think part of it is just genetics and then just um, continuing to stay aligned with the teachings of my, my family and just the pride of being who I am and, and what my family represents and what that group of people represent. Um, and as the reason they came over here, that, that civil war, uh, the resiliency and the starting here, just some of the things that I learned as a child, just the, the privilege that we have of, of being born here and the opportunities that we have and not to squander that. And so um, considering what they escaped and considering some of the things that I've gone through, I, I think that they've had a far tougher road than, than I have. And, and I'm always conscious of that. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and you played sports early, I'm guessing, like you were, were you always in yeah. sports? Was it always football? Yeah. To, uh, all around my fa my family, my parents are athletes. Um, and so sports was just one of those things that they figured was a natural progression of, of their child. Um, yeah. I don't think that they thought it would shake out how it did, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but fortunately it did. <laughs> um, and, and I, I, I meant to ask, how did, how did your family choose or get to Charlotte? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I actually, I need to ask that myself. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a large population in Jersey. There's a large population in the North Carolina area, kind of arcing through Charlotte to Winston-Salem rally and uh, Chicago, Dallas. But I'm not actually sure what drew my parents to, to Charlotte, probably because it was too cold in Jersey and yeah. in Chicago. So I had to take a guess. <laughs> probably so. <laughs> um, okay. So, What's interesting um, about our stories is that I grew up in Georgia and I went mm -hmm. to UNC Charlotte for college mm -hmm. and you grew up in Charlotte and went to Georgia for college. Yeah. Yeah. I was also a college athlete. Um, I played tennis. Mm -hmm. And my question for you is I went to school um, thinking I wanted to be a professional tennis player, having no idea how far I was from that ever being possible. Like I, but, but I went to school like division one, I'm going to play tennis. It took me a couple of years to realize I better find something else to do, to do with my life. I'm curious from your perspective, when did it click for you that you might be able to do this for a living? Was it before college, during college? Was it after you were already in the NFL? Like, when did you go, I might actually be good enough to be a pro? You know, it's interesting. Growing up first generation Liberian, my folks didn't, they didn't have no like association with professional sports as a career. And so school was always important. And 
I didn't know any pros walking around. So it was just a, you get to the next natural step. Oh, I go from middle school to high school. I'm playing varsity. Oh, I'm playing varsity. I get a scholarship. Oh, I get a scholarship. I see the first draft class at the University of Georgia. And it's like, oh, this is kind of how this works. And so you aspire, you, you watch people play, you play in the yard and you say, oh, Randy Moss, or you shoot basketballs like Michael Jordan or Kobe. But that link between how it actually happens for you is sometimes missed until you, you get to the next stage. And that's kind of how it was for me, where the confidence and the awareness grew as I um, went to the next level. Gotcha. So, and, and did you, when did you uh, go into the draft? What year of college? Did you go all the way through the four years or did you go early? Yep, all four years. So I was the second round pick uh, in the 2009 draft. Nine, okay. Um, now I, ha- I have I have a uh, my brother-in-law, Jonathan, is uh, what was it UGA when you were there? And mm-hmm. I, I said, hey, if you have one question to ask him, what what would I ask him? <laughs> so here's his question, <laughs> and, and oh, you can plead Lord. the fifth if you need to plead the fifth. He was curious what your perspective is on players getting paid in the NFL. I mean, sorry, in in college. Um, you know, how, how that's being discussed and whether or not players can be paid um, for their likeness and whatnot. What are, what are your thoughts on that? So think about it like this. If uh, UGA uh, gives a full academic scholarship to someone and they decide to have a summer internship, nobody frowns upon that. But if you get an athletic scholarship and somebody wants to pay you, then somebody frowns on that. It's really the same thing. And so um, you this is going to sound bad, but certain players are more marketable than others. Certain players, just like certain students may have certain abilities that are different than their peers. And sometimes the price different reflects that. And I don't think that you should punish a guy or girl that is able to generate some type of meaningful income off of their likeness in the same way that you shouldn't punish the star finance student or the star um, chemist or research student because somebody's in demand of their services. And so I look at it as if you compare apples to apples, one side gets the chance to benefit off of their abilities and the other side doesn't. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a good, uh, that's a good example. Um, and I, I would guess, um, I mean, a lot of people think that race has a lot to do with that. Um, and that, um, there, it'd be different if, if, um, say most of the athletes that were most marketable were not people of color. Um, and as you see sort of the NFL and what's happening um, today and sort of standing up for the right to freedom of speech, how do you see that? Would, would you be part of that movement or are you part of it now and supportive? Um, is it something you think doesn't need to be in sports? I mean, people want it to go away, but the reality when you live through it every day, I can't turn off being black. You you know, like there's certain things that I have had happen to me that, you know, I've been in situations where I've had two completely different experiences where an individual looks at me as a black person and then they find out a little bit more about my black, about my um, athletic background. And then the conversation changes and not everyone gets that privilege. And so I don't walk around with a Georgia helmet on or a Cleveland Browns jersey on all the time. And so you you can see the difference. And there's players, honestly, that they just want to play the game. They don't want to be caught up in it. But it's such a big thing is that sports is a vehicle for change. It it always has been. And and the worlds collide. And it's, it's not the right time or the right moment. It just 
is what it is. You know, I wish that there was no moment at all that people had to deal with this, but that's the reality of the world that we're in. And so it's just a necessary thing and it has people's attention and hopefully change comes out of it and hopefully it's not lost. The other part of it is that I think as people learn more, they start to understand the true challenges and it's very easy to deflect or move on to something else. But as you start to educate yourself on the depth of the challenges and the width of the challenges, I think you start to have a little bit more empathy to say, okay, there, there is a little something to it that I may not understand because I don't have that experience. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up empathy because I think that's, that's what I've seen different over the last six months as uh, people have been quarantined and um, you've seen, you know, black man after black man and Brianna and uh, you know, the, the, the murders, that's, that's all you can call them happening. And, you know, I think people of privilege like myself who don't experience those things um, and, and don't have family members that experience those things, it in the past has been easy for people to just be horrified and aghast at what's happening and then go back to their meetings and go back to their day to day, but they're sitting on it more. And so I think that my hope is that that is unlocking some of that empathy that I think is necessary. I, I, I just feel like deep down, most people are good inside. And if they could see that sort of pain and see what was really happening, change would happen much more quickly. But the problem is they just can't see it and nor do they want to see it. Yeah. And, and most people don't have to see it. Like if you, you look, um, most areas, whether intentional or not, are very segmented by race. You know, there's certain parts of town that are more white than diverse. There's certain parts of town that are one demographic and so you, you're rarely having those conversations but you actually just sit down to see that we're more alike than we're different you know we have connection you're a male I'm a male you know we're both athletes you have connection to Charlotte I have connection to Charlotte you have connection to Georgia I have connection to Georgia we have connection as entrepreneurs and so there's a lot of things that we don't connect on but if we have enough things that we connect on and we can have a conversation I'm going to be more willing to listen to you and most people don't do that. They just focus on their differences and they get, you know, left and right and red and blue and up and down and, you know, sideways to sideways. And they don't take the time to actually be human. And so I think the more people are human, they start to see that, okay, this person may think differently than me. That doesn't make them good or bad. They just have a difference. And that's, that isn't a deal breaker. You know, I disagree with some of my friends on certain issues, but we right. still love each other because we want the best of each other. We're not going to try to do anything that intentionally or unintentionally inflicts any type of pain or discomfort to each other. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that perspective. And I think you're right. Humans, the more they can connect, the more progress can be made. Um, So so 2017, so so you have um, what, eight, eight years in the NFL? No. So I was actually retired when my accident happened. Oh, okay. I played five years. Five years. Okay. And, and you retired, um, where were you playing? Denver? So my last stop was uh, in, with the Jets up in the New Jets. York. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And had you already started then the business that you're, you're working on now, or does that come after 17? So it came after. So when I retired, uh, so one of the, I kept getting concussions. And so I had Mm. to stop playing, just didn't want any long-term trauma. Uh, And this is back when, you know, the concussion movies coming out, concussions are a big topic. And so started to really think about, you know, 
should I play or should I stop and use this other skill set that I have? And didn't really know what I wanted to do. Correct. I, I knew what I wanted to do, but didn't know like whether to pursue it or not, just being nervous and everything. And so I took a safe um, stop at Morgan Stanley. And that was something that I was like, uh, you live with this internal tension because you know that you're supposed to be doing something else. And so when my accident happened, it actually just forced me to go uh, to pursue what I'm, I'm doing now. And, and, and so life has a funny way of wow. course correcting whether you want it to or not. Yeah. So, so can you quickly talk about the accident and, and, you know, I say quickly only because I know you talk about it all the time to everybody. So uh -huh. I, I don't want you to have to do that all the time, but it's important because then we can go from there in terms of how your life has changed. But so it's April of 2017. April, 2017, I get in a ATV accident um, where I end up losing my left hand in, in the process. So I'm now an amputee um, following that ATV accident and so as you can imagine you go from really you know a life of comfort you know not much stress um having done done something that most people don't don't get a chance to do in transitioning into you know what is a great career uh and then all of that just kind of gets flipped on its head and uh, literally and, and then you lose the thing that you basically were able to change the trajectory of not only your life but your family's life which is your hand i play a receiver in the nfl so you can just imagine mm -hmm. you know a singer losing their voice forever even if they're not singing anymore yeah. or you know in my case losing a hand and you know that being a part of my life and catching footballs for a living and so that was a very very interesting time in my life yeah, I I can't even imagine. Um, and I've heard you talk about um, grief and, and the way to sort of, that you need to give yourself room to sit in that grief and that trauma and process it. Um, there's a, a entrepreneur I love called Ashley Jones, and she has a, a business trying to help people and businesses deal with grief because I just think there's not enough time spent on helping people through that process and giving them the time. That's something that um, I'm guessing, you know, you had to probably for the first time that sort of trauma. And s did you sit in that? Did you give yourself the time? Or was that a revelation that came later in life that you're like, oh, I should have given myself more time to just deal with this emotionally? I mean, I, I, looking back, I wish that at each stage, each pivotal moment of my life, I would have had time to just slow down and stop and like fully deal with whatever the situation was. But we we make ourselves busy. We 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 force ourselves to jump into things, and in this situation, I I literally couldn't. You know, I was having multiple surgeries. I was in and out of the hospital. I was rehabbing. You know, so it's you literally can't go to the next thing. Whatever was on my calendar, I still to this day don't remember what was on my calendar. Um, so it must not have been that important. Uh, you know, we think that we're super important and things are super important and they can go away and you know snap of a finger. But I just sat there. And, and as you sit there, you go through these different emotions, whether it's anxiety or depression or, you know, fear or doubt or whatever, the anything. I, I probably experienced them all. And, and just sitting there and not just sitting there to hold them, but sitting there to figure out how to correct them, which mm -hmm. a lot of times you can only do through therapy, which I had to do. And you get to the root of the issue. Not only do you get to the root of that issue, you get to the the surrounding issues that may be influencing things that you don't even know are impacting your life. And so in being able to do that, 
it's given me a sense of clarity and still do that, still, you know, make sure that I'm mentally where I need to be. I move through life with a greater clarity than I think I ever have. Have have you defined a like a personal purpose, um, sort of a, a guiding light for yourself that you remain focused on, or is it more of a general path and, and journey? Um, it's basically like the highest form of myself, like in, in developing the areas that I need to develop to to get to where I, I want to go on my journey. That doesn't mean developing everything. We, we don't have time to develop everything. Right. But I know there's certain things that are pivotal to me on this journey. Um, I, I don't think that I'll move to another industry uh, just because it's something I've always been passionate about. There may be some some other secondary things that I, I do, but I'll always be in this space in some capacity. And so there's certain things that I have to develop, there's certain things that I have to do that are non-negotiable so that whenever another hurdle comes and there will be one, I can be prepared to withstand it and, and thrive through it. And what are some of those non-negotiables? Uh, so part of it, I'm, I'm in it now. So I, I went to Harvard to, uh, they have a program that functions as their executive MBA, completed that last summer. I uh, wanted to just understand business better because I'm working with business leaders. So you, you, there's a, you may have the, the ability that's untapped and undeveloped. And so for me, it's like, what are those things that I have to continuously develop to develop, deliver a high quality value? And so I'm currently getting my master's in industrial organizational psychology to be able to measure change more effectively. Uh, coming down the line, there's a foundation that we've created um, to, um, that will be designed to, to uh, provide prosthetics for kids who are amputees. Uh, and then long-term, there's a goal to create a some type of like IMG Academy in Liberia. And so there's, these different things happen at different stages in life. And so now I'm making sure that whenever the, the time to pursue that particular thing in whatever capacity, I've done everything that I need to do to enhance the, the chance of success in it. So um, a lot of those things are non-negotiable and, and obviously spending time with family and mm -hmm. you know spending time personally and uh, making sure that I'm healthy mentally and physically all of those are non-negotiables as well. Is that, um, so are some of those things the, you talked about like when you went to Morgan Stanley, there were other things you wanted to be doing, but you took that route instead. And is that, are those some of the things that you always sort of wanted to do and saw yourself doing? Uh, well, certain things have, uh, the, the uh, foundation for kids that's new, that, that's something that is, is a result of my accident. The ability to do something for kids that grow up in Liberia is something that I've always thought of. Um, and, and that would have happened regardless of the accident would have happened or not. Uh, I realized that had I been born in Liberia, there's very limited chance that I would have had a chance to play in the NFL. And so those kids, those people share the same genetics as I do. All they're doing is missing opportunity. And so being able to help in that capacity is something that I'm really passionate about. Uh, being able to deliver value and change is something that yeah. I'm passionate about. I study psychology in undergrad. So I, I don't think people's interests necessarily change. What they do with those interests, I think those are the things that change throughout life. And so yeah. these things have been core to me for since as long as I can remember. You talked about, um, you know, being healthy, mind, body, spirit, 
let's say, to be ready for the next change that comes. Um, one of the things that I love when, you know, when people talk about luck, luck is really preparate when preparation meets opportunity. Like there's plenty of times when, you know, I'm sure you were lucky, but it was really because you were ready for that moment and you were able to take advantage of it. And I'm guessing the same sort of thing happened for you in 2017 when you had the accident. Obviously, physically, you were probably in great shape, which, which helped you be able to recover from that and get through it. Um, can you talk about sort of that? And then also, as, as you consult and help businesses and, and people with change, is, that, is there like, hey, let's, you don't know what's going to come, but you can be prepared in different ways? Preparation is everything. The, the reason my doctor felt comfortable doing a number of surgeries to ultimately save my thumb was because he knew that my body could withstand it. Mm. And so you think through COVID right now, you, there's certain things that you would have had to have done prior to COVID happening to be able to withstand COVID, to, to be able to withstand this time. And so part of it is just preparing for things. And there's going to be natural attrition to where people haven't done the work to withstand certain traumatic or adverse events. So they're, they're just going to weed out um, themselves, um, unfortunately. But then through any adverse situation, there's going to be opportunities. And so you don't actually have to go find them. You just have to be aware of which opportunities make sense for you. There's many things that I've thought through life that didn't make sense for me to pursue. And so while they were opportunities for someone else, it didn't make sense for me. And so I could have pr pursued that and potentially failed at it, um, high chance of failing at it, because that wasn't the thing that I was uniquely qualified or gifted to do. But I think the things that you are uniquely qualified to do and you've prepared for them and you continue to develop and you continue to stay current and you're trusting your own intuition and you're trusting what you're seeing people actually struggle with and deal with, it almost becomes failure proof because you're, mm -hmm. you're serving a true human need. And when you're serving a true human need in a way that other people aren't, there's value there and with value comes loyalty. Um, and if you continue to provide that value, you, you know, you, you can be with a person for as long as you exist. Yeah. And I, and I've seen on your site, um, you've worked with large companies, um, helping mm -hmm. them. Um, is it, is it fair to say helping them either process change or prepare themselves for change? Is that the overriding, uh, goal? Yeah, because it's really, I mean, all changes are human. Like you, you have people that understand what change is going to occur, why change is going to occur, but really do they understand the how? And a lot of times that's how is this individual contributor creating value and how do they work along a team to create value? And then how does that team create value with the other teams within an organization so that the organization ultimately shines? And so a lot of that starts with the alignment of where are we actually going? Does it make sense for us to go there? Um, are we doing this because it's a flavor of moment and people mm -hmm. are going to get fatigued out? Or are we doing this because it's something that's like truly part of us and it's essential and it's in our DNA? Do we have the right people? Like, do we want people to self-select out because they may be failure points um, along the way if these certain individuals are there? Do we need to bring more individuals into the fold with different skill sets? where diversity and inclusion comes to play. And the biggest thing is you have people that their skills are outdated. Um, if you look at the workforce coming in right now, they have certain skills and it seems like it's a big change, but that's just how things have evolved. It's the people that are in the workforce that haven't evolved with it. And so you can say, okay, let's just get caught, everybody caught up to speed, but that doesn't really create a competitive advantage. Now you're just like everybody else. It's the, 
other experiences that really allow you the opportunity to create something that other people can't replicate because they don't have those same experiences and capabilities. Have you found um, what, one of the things that I've um, in my business, uh, Dragon Army, we work with a lot of your clients, Chick-fil-A. Um, and it's always interesting to me um, which ones can adapt more quickly and move more quickly. And I've looked at that as having an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, if leaders and especially the top leadership, I mean, Dan Cathy has it for sure. If they have more of an entrepreneurial bent, they're more likely to take some risks, try some things, evolve. And then the companies that seem like they're mostly interested in protecting what they have, then there becomes fear and a you know, sort of resistance to change. Do you find that maybe the smaller companies you work with are do have an easier time changing? Is there any correlation between that? Or what are some of the characteristics you see that when companies seem to get it more quickly than others? It's, it's a combination of things. I'll, I'll set it up by saying this. Like, imagine if I said, uh, let's go jog 100 yards. You say, okay, that's not bad. We can jog 100 yards. But if I told you, let's go run a marathon right now, unless you've been training for a marathon, you're going to think I'm crazy. But right. if a person is in marathon shape right now, they'll take a swig of water and we'll go on our journey. And so you're really only prepared for the change that you've prepared for. And most people aren't prepared. So when they see this big digital transformation or they see some big initiative, naturally they're scared because they only want to run the 100 yards. They don't want to go the full marathon because they're, they're not in shape. And so a lot of times it's getting people to prepare for that marathon and along the way you're making progress and you're not realizing that you actually run the marathon because you've been doing all the things behind the scenes. And I think it's the, it's the mindset for this idea of I'm going to continue to enhance my offering. I'm going to continue to be in the business of value add. I'm going to continue to understand what I'm weak at and solve for that now so that when I do need it, I'm not resisting it. Like there's, there's certain things that people can do, that they don't develop and there's certain people that yeah. do develop those things and they're more apt to it. And so it's more of what you've done to get ready for that moment. So when that moment arrives, you can take advantage of it. That preparedness is, it's such a great point and it's so critical. Um, when I think about like um, some of the better um, team members that I've had at my companies, um, the ones that have been able to adjust when change happened, that were more prepared. Um, a lot of times they were either college athletes or athletes because there's a certain part of being an athlete that um, there's the training, the discipline, um, you have to prepare, right? You, you start to understand as you grow older as an athlete, you're, and you become a teenager and then um, in your 20s that that preparation always helps you down the road. And I wonder for you as you're an entrepreneur now, um, do you see things that, that have helped you because you were an athlete, because you were at the highest level of being an athlete that have helped you in entrepreneurship? Because entrepreneurship is hard, um, as, mm -hmm. as you well know, and it never turns off. Um, are there traits and skills that you think have helped you be successful in that because of what you accomplish as an athlete? I, I think there's certain parallels. Like there's, there's, you, you can't game plan a whole game. Like even if you come in with a script, mm. typically you, you may not get through one play that, that you've designed or especially not in the order because you're constantly reacting to things in real time. 
you're constantly evaluating competition. You're constantly evaluating yourself. You can take critique. Um, I, I love when somebody just beats the crap something that I've done because that gives me a chance to go correct and enhance versus telling me things are great and I go out and make a mistake that could have been avoided. Uh, and a, a lot of my peers are that way. And, and so you're constantly practicing. You're, you're constantly improving your craft. You're constantly finding different ways to do things. You're constantly studying and not even studying a lot of times what it is that is core to your industry. You're getting a feel for what's out there because you don't know what input's going to add value to you. Um, there was a funny situation. It's funny now. I can laugh back at it. But the first guy that was on the scene when my accident happened, when my hand's bleeding and everything, he took his shirt off to stop the bleeding. And so this is like two years after the accident. And I'm like, how'd you know to stop the bleeding? And it was like, man, I watched it in a movie. Like that was one of the first things that they did. And so he wasn't medically trained. He didn't know, but he, I mean, it, he's pulling from like all these different places and you don't know what may be relevant to a particular situation. And so that move right there was super beneficial. Like, I, I don't know how much blood I would have lost. I don't know if that could have contributed to me fainting. I don't know if that could have contributed to something else. Um, and he was able to stay calm. And this guy's not medically trained. He has no background in any type of uh, any any trauma, anything. But that response, and he, he's an athlete. You know, everybody there was an athlete. So the ability to stay cool under pressure, the ability to just understand that things are going to be okay on the other side, even when you can't even define the other side. Um, and I think most importantly, whether you win the Super Bowl by a point or you win the Super Bowl by 100 points, your, your goal is to complete the task um, in any way possible, whether that's running or throwing or special teams. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs or businesses are married to a certain way of doing things versus just trying to create progress and value in whatever that looks like or whoever has to step up. Uh, so I think that there's a, a lot of carryover um, and it doesn't always come out, but it's, I think it's just intuitive at, at times of this is how I should respond in this particular moment. I love that. Um, one of the things that I've started to do in my businesses is um, I've adapted a, a program called the great game of business. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. No, I haven't. So essentially, like if you think about when you were on the teams you were on, um, at any given point, everybody on that team knew their role. They knew the score of the game that was happening. They knew how they contributed to the win. They knew the goal of the team to, to win the conference, to win the Super Bowl. Um, and at the end of the day, they all won together or they lost together. And yet, most companies don't have any of that. If you walk up to a random person in a company, how do you contribute to the goal of the company this year? They probably don't even know what the goal is. They certainly probably don't know where the company is in terms of hitting that goal. Most of the time, unfortunately, people don't feel like they know how their job contributes. So the great game helps take um, that team concept and put it into a business. And so anyways, I just, some of the things that you just said and thinking about um, business and leadership through the lens of athletics, I just think there's so much sort of positive connection. So I love that you're now helping companies grow um, and prepare for change because again, I just see that being a, something that we need more of sort of sports and business coming together. Yeah. It's like I played football. I, I played many sports and 
let's say in basketball, you can have a LeBron James type individual just will its way to the team. Just one amazing leader, one amazing talent. It's very rare that you can have that in business. You need multiple people. It's more like football to where Tom Brady can't be great if his center decides he doesn't want to show up that day. The defense, you know, Stephon Gilmore, who's probably the best corner in the league, can't be great if there's no pass rush because he can't cover for 10 seconds. And so you need these people that you may not even know their name. Um, the Falcons lost on the um, the onside kick the last, last week, and some, that was somebody's job. Every Everybody else played well. That's somebody's job, um, and they didn't execute on that. And so you have a week long of preparation that goes down the drain for one thing. And so in, in business, I mean, that one individual, if they don't know how they're contributing or what their role is, they could change the trajectory of everything, you know, um, especially in this information age. Yeah. And what I really love about the uh, example of football is it, it would occur to me that in football, um, trust is so important. Um, like everybody has to do their job and trust because you can't be looking around like basketball again it's containable LeBron can see what everybody's doing but many times in football you run your route you do your thing and you have to trust the ball's going to be there or the block's going to be there same thing in business like the, the businesses that I see that struggle are oftentimes ones that don't have trust they're constantly having to double check on somebody or micromanage somebody because they don't trust people to do the roles so I, I see that sort of um being one of the bigger things that I try to help the companies I work with on is, is trust. Um, do you see that as you look at change management, that trust needs to be there before companies can evolve and change? Yeah, because there's, there's like defined roles of, of what a person should do. And it, and it should be, Jeff, you should do it this way because it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Or Jeff, this is your first day on the job. So naturally you're supposed to be in, in this particular role. I was with a CEO one time and he said he wanted to increase his digital presence and he wanted to attract this demographic of people, this millennial group, and he's in his 50s. And so he's sitting there and he's playing with his iPhone, can't really work his iPhone. He calls his assistant and assistant's mid-20s, gives it back to him in 20 seconds. And I'm sitting there and he's like, the damn iPhone. And I'm like, no, like it's you're probably not the guy to lead this digital strategy because you're not the expert in here. You have this flock of 20 year olds that understand the user experience. They understand the design. They understand how to actually make it work, but they're out of position. And so not only are they not as engaged as they could potentially be, you're going to deploy all this money and you're going to use people that don't really know how to, you know, design this thing in a way that's going to appeal to this audience and it's going to have a very low chance of success. And then everybody's going to be wondering what happened versus getting these people actually in the roles that they should be in to be able to push this in and marrying the two together so that even though they may not have the business experience, they have the technical experience that you would need. And so I think a lot of times people are just out of position on teams. And a lot of times the trust happens because somebody knows that they want to do something else and they don't trust that this person is going to do it Mm -hmm. this right way. And then somebody else is, they think that they're the expert or their ego won't let them take a back seat. And so that they just charge for it. And now they have to protect themselves because they're over leveraged and they're out of the comfort zone and they try to make up and then you have the opportunity cost. And then this whole little rabbit hole happens where things are just firing downhill versus all of that could be avoided if you just put people where they should be to start and give them the opportunities and empower them to be able to add value. 
Awesome. That's, that's absolutely great advice. Uh, I just have a couple other questions for you. Uh, how did you end up in Atlanta and why are you still in Atlanta? Georgia. <laughs> I think everybody that goes to UGA ends up just staying here. Um, and I was in Cleveland. My uh, girlfriend, now wife, was in Atlanta. And so Cleveland's entirely too cold to stay in the off season. Didn't want to go back home to Charlotte. Uh, so it made sense to come down here and join her. Um, and, you know, we've made Atlanta home. How long have you been in Atlanta then? I mean, I, UGA started 05. We used to drive down here um, and bought in 2010, 2011, something like that. Oh. Bought a house down here in 2010, 2011. So, okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm seasoned. <laughs> yeah, you sure are. <laughs> you sure are. <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about how they, you know, they lived in Atlanta for a long time and then they called it the 285. And I was like, I don't know if you've been here long enough. We don't, we don't see that. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So here's a question I have for you. Um, Presumably as you grew up, um, you had different heroes along the way, people you looked up to that inspired you. I'm curious if now sort of post-career and also post-accident and you have a new sort of trajectory and you've got these incredible things you want to do. Are there different people you look up to, different heroes you have, or, or is it sort of, has that remained the same? It's grown. I think anybody that's functioned at a high level, they've had and, and has sustained it over time they've had to do certain things and make certain sacrifices. And so um, if you just go back and you look at the things that they've done and and you just reverse engineer their steps, you start to see these different inflection points where they made certain decisions, whether it's Kevin Hart leaving the shoe store or Obama going back to school and partnering with the right people on his campaign or like whoever the the rock, you know, in, in, in his journey right now, or even someone like um, Sarah Blakely and, and her leaving her fax job to, to go through. Like these people have had tremendous, tremendous challenges that they've had to overcome. And not only did they overcome it, but they've done it with grace. They've done it with style. They've done it um, with the highest quality product that they could potentially produce. And they're continuing to do that now that they're, they're not slowing down. And so when you see these type of people, you, you want to read up on them. You want to see them. I tell people all the time, like, you may or may not be motivated by my story, but there's somebody that you naturally are a fan of. You're motivated by them. You're inspired by them. It's your job to then go do the homework to go figure out what they've done. And you can almost get this master class on how you pursue in your own life. Um, and, and you'll take the certain strategic steps that you need. And the more of these reference points that you have, the more that you understand which moves are applicable to your life and then where you're trying to go. Yeah. I love that. Um, and, and great examples too, Sarah, she's also someone that I look up to because of how she, you know, has done these amazing things and she's got this great foundation as well. And she's helping so many women entrepreneurs. So, um, yeah. all right, that, that was awesome. So here's, here's the sort of final question for you. As you think about your 80, years old, you and your wife are sitting on the front porch, You've, your grandchildren are running around in the yard. What do you want to be remembered for? Or what impact do you want to be able to look back and say, I did that or I made that? I mean, really for people to be the highest form of themselves mm-hmm. um, or their organization. And, and 
I, I think that, you know, business is such a large part of our lives, you know, that we, we do, devote so much time to. And, and so um, hopefully I can help people create value for other people um, at the highest level, which, which I'm very, very passionate about. Um, and I look at it in different buckets. It's then from the philanthropic side. Um, I think the, the more you receive, the more responsibility you have to go out and, and have an impact. And so hopefully uh, the foundation for being able to empower children through prosthetic devices is around well beyond, you know, 80 years. And hopefully there's a school in Liberia that, you know, beyond, well beyond 80 years. And, and so just ability to impact people positively is, is what I want to be known for at, at the highest level. Um, I've had so many people impact me, so it's almost, you know, returning the favor in, in the ways that I think that God gifted and, and wired me. Love that. Well, that's awesome. Well, if people want to, if you want, uh, if people want to get involved to help you today, is there anything we can point them to? Uh, so my website is thevessel.com, T-H-E-B-E-S-S-O-L.com. Uh, my social media handles are Iron Massaqua. I kind of took on that mon- moniker when I started wearing a prosthetic device. Uh, and on LinkedIn, it's my name, Muhammad Massaqua. I think I'm the only one. My dad might have a profile up there now, but uh, he'll just forward, <laughs> forward it to me if it's uh, not, not directed at him. Nice. Well, Muhammad, I can't thank you enough for uh, being on this and, and chatting with me, but also for all the things you're doing. If there's anything I can ever do to help, please let me know. But uh, I really am inspired by what you're doing. I appreciate it. I mean, you're a rock star as well. So uh, continue. And, and likewise, if I could help with anything you're doing. All right, my friend. It was good to see you. All right. Likewise. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Wow. You made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't think people did that anymore. Well, since I still have you, I'd love for you to do two things. First, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. That way you'll be alerted as soon as I post my next one. And second, I'd love for you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I send out an email every week or two, and it's really where I share my more personal thoughts and ideas. Plus, I give stuff away sometimes. You can find the sign up at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com, and I really do appreciate you listening. Oh,